Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. On this special Father's Day episode, I talk with Kendall Smith, the author of the book, Rookie Father, a playbook for men experiencing fatherhood for the first time. You know, I encourage dads that, that didn't have one growing up themselves, you know, look for areas of inspiration. It doesn't have to be a male role model. It could be a family friend. It could be a woman in your family that you thought had great values and you should try to embrace those that resonate with you and espouse them on a daily basis. Hi, and welcome to The Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. Each episode focuses on a variety of relatable topics, including parenting, family, children, relationships, mental health, and pop culture. Hear from a variety of medical professionals, psychological experts, authors, celebrities, and other parents with inspiring stories. You'll feel like you're in the same room with your friends getting all of your questions answered. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll learn, and you'll have fun. Kendall, thank you so much for being here today on the podcast to talk about everything fatherhood and your book, which is called Rookie Father, a playbook for men experiencing fatherhood for the first time. Thank you so much for being here. Pleasure to be here, Dr. Kim. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So this is our Father's Day special. Um, I do. Have, I interview different dads um, for Father's Day um, because you know they play such a pivotal role in our child's lives, and I don't think they're recognized as much as I feel like they should be. Um, I think there's a lot of emphasis on motherhood and moms, and so I I love my Father's Day episode every year because I think it really shines that bright on how pivotal and how important fatherhood really is um, to, to raising. children children. So, um, so thank you for being here a as a dad. Um, and also, like I said, as an author, so, um, if I want to start first by just asking you, uh, what qualities or characteristics do you feel like makes up a good father figure? I think it's patience is number one without question. I think if you have, if you can exude patience with your family, with your children, especially the younger children with the crying and the early years, um, it makes a big difference. And I think it's also, it's making sure that you carve out time every single day to spend some quality time with your kids. Those two things, if you can keep them in line and practice that, it's going to strengthen the bond year after year so that you have an open dialogue and communication going into the tougher years, the teenage years. Yes. Which I think we're all, all of us that have younger kids are all... Well, kind of just anticipating what that's going to be like, you know, in years to come. Um, but it is good to have that foundation, like you said, from the from the get go. And and maybe not all of us have that, but I think you know, with the help of your book and you know other things <laughs> that we're going to talk about today, will help you know give them some of those foundational components to you know help them steer in the right direction, so they can be present, so they can be patient, and, and all of those things. So, um, so. Is it something that comes, you think, innately to to men when they become dads? Um, do you do you feel like 
when a dad becomes a dad, they know what they're doing. Um, or is it like any other type of parenthood where, you know, especially if they didn't have a father figure in their own life, do you feel like it's a lot harder for those, um, let's say men to become dads, to become fathers when they didn't really have a role model to, to, to count on, to look at, um, and, and to learn from as they were growing up? Um, do you feel like that's harder for them? Or do you feel like any dads really have it all together right when they have a child? No one has it together. The moms don't have it together. The dads don't. You're basically a sponge and you're a student of uh, parenthood. I mean, it's probably the most important uh, important process you'll go through in terms of learning how to parent, understanding your own weaknesses, your own strengths. And you have to approach it almost as a student. And it's the best way. It's like that first day on college or first, first class you ever took at college. You know, you walk in there and you've got to, Come with a mind for you, like you're there to learn. And that's where why having a support system, your family, <coughs> friends and family to, to lean on. Um, I think it's a critical element in the early years when you're a, a parent. And as the child gets a little bit older, two, three years old, you know, I encourage dads that, that didn't have one growing up themselves, you know, look for areas of inspiration. It doesn't have to be a male role model. It could be a family friend. It could be a woman in your family that you thought had great values and you should try to embrace those that resonate with you and espouse them on a daily basis. And the other thing I do is I tell, and this is kind of goes to my stories when, when my parents divorced, you know, I started to look for role models anywhere I could find them. So I found role models in media, in movies, in TVs. In fact, Lawrence Fishburne from Boys in the Hood, early 1990s movie, there's a great scene in there, multiple scenes of a father and son. And he's figuring out and it's passing along the wisdom of what it is means to be a father. When that I watched that in the theater, it hit a nerve and it just stuck with me. I'm like, okay, like this guy, I want to learn more, absorb this and make this part of my life. So you got to be humble with yourself when you're first starting out as a parent. You just got to give yourself a break and be a sponge of knowledge. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And like you said, I don't think anyone knows what they're doing when <laughs> that baby comes home from the hospital or maybe you had the baby at home. I don't know, but there's, there's so much to learn. And every time I feel like you hit a, a point where you feel like you kind of know what you're doing and then all of a sudden something switches again and they go through another developmental leap and, you know, they, from a baby to a toddler, to a preschooler, to, you know, as they grow, there's, there's always new curveballs that, that kind of come along the way. So, um, but like I said at the beginning, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on motherhood and the importance of a mom in the sense of, you know, they're the ones that are dependable, nurturing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what are some of the the, the importance of, of dads? What, what are some of the roles? Because obviously there are different roles, you know, mm -hmm. that a mom and a dad plays. And sometimes in some cases, in some families, the mom and the mom is also the mom and the dad, if, you know, there's not a dad present and, and vice versa. Um, but what are some of the impact that fathers have um, in, in their child's life? What would you say is kind of their biggest role? You know, it depends. It, it's, it varies so much from couple to couple. You know, I think the key thing for moms and dads to really espouse it or to embrace is, is teamwork. And if your wife is doing X and Y, and you're doing A and B and you're being able to mesh it together, that's the most important thing. It's the most important team you'll ever be on, especially the first several years of your child's life. It's mission critical. 
So, you know, if you find yourself in a different role, like if you had a perception of fatherhood before you got there, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And I always thought I'm going to be the, the disciplinarian. And, you know, I, I'm, I do discipline. My wife is really disciplined. And <laughs> she was a stay-at-home mom for the first six years of her life. And now with COVID and working from home, now I'm, I'm more engaged and involved and I'm involved in the sports and whatnot. But when I would come home after commuting back and forth from New York City every single day, um, I was not about to interfere when there was disciplining going on. I wanted that structure in place. And the result has been our child is polite. He's respectful. He, he gets a little whiny and gets a little entitled like most kids do. But by and large, you know, I was an active supporter of that. And I did not see, I saw myself as more as a disciplinarian as I got older. And that might be my own chauvinistic point of view that I thought that was my role. But now my role is, is evolved. My son's nine years old now, and it, it's evolved to be um, collaborative, to be um, discipline, you know, le- layering into discipline as well. But um, also really trying to keep that create the creative spark going with him, trying to get him involved with music, trying to kind of spend quality time with him that I didn't have with my dad, so he has those memories. Right. So. You know, my, my role is, is a little bit different than I expected. And that's fine. As long as you're, again, involved and you're patient. That's the yes. It, always, it goes back to those. I, I really do agree with you on that. Um, you know, I think sometimes just showing up, and I think you talk about this in your book, you know, I saw something in there about showing up and it may have been more to do with the marriage itself, you know, and, 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 and you know, being present, but I think it has to do with parenthood too. And, you know, sometimes when we're just there for our kids, you know, we don't have to be, you know, spending a ton of money or, you know, going on a lavish vacation or, or, you know, buying them a new bike. It doesn't have to be about that has to be just being there and being present and, you know, being there to pick them up from school maybe, or, you know, helping with their homework or, you know, giving them a bath at night, like just putting food on their tape on the table. I think, just that that presence is is so uh, imperative. So now let's dive a little bit into your your book. Um, so again, I know you you wrote the book, and and you can tell me what um, inspired you to write the book, and you know your premise behind it. Um, from what I understand, um, it's it's for it's for new dads or for dads that primarily didn't grow up without a dad of their own for what one way reason or another. Um, but can it also be used for other, you know, other dads that possibly there's, I'm sure there's nuggets of knowledge in there, um, you know, for, for dads that are just starting off to be a dad that maybe did have a dad in their life, but they could still learn a thing or two from someone who's, you know, been through it before. Will you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, a couple of things, um, a couple of questions in there that I'm happy to talk about. Uh, the book is definitely for all dads. And the one thing about the book that resonated or that I, I aimed for was when you look at self-help books, just the title alone is going to just push men off. Men do not, they don't ask for help. They don't want help. If the, the old classic joke is, you know, dad gets lost driving in the car. He's not going to pull over. He's not going <laughs> to the gas station and ask for help. Like it's not going to happen. You know, he'll, un, he'll unlose himself. Right. But um, I think the, 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 the important element is, that the book is written in a manner where it's 300 pages long and it's almost 230 chapters, but they're all one to two pages each. That's how men consume advice-driven content. And that's how it's really aimed for. It's advice-driven. Um, I also worked in men's health for nearly 10 years on the business side, but their editorial approach influenced me a lot. And that is to position advice in a way that they can act upon 
not that it's advice being given to mm-hmm. and doing it in short bursts of advice on a range of subjects. And that is, you know, how to be a better husband, how to be involved in your child's life in a healthy manner, how to manage the in-laws, which is a whole section. Um, <laughs> that needs to be a <laughs> The packaging of that in the psychological world, I mean, that's good for about 10 sessions probably. Right, you know, exactly. You know? um, and then also looking at things like how to manage your money. You know, when you talk about family finances and having a child, the costs involved in that, um, and the need to plan ahead for college savings, your own retirement, which should take a priority, and then how to really manage your money as a team and in a disciplined manner. And I break those down into different chapters because the number one thing couples fight about is money. And if you set long-term goals and you have a short-term way to manage your money, um, when the couples agree on the long-term goals, it's going to remove so many obstacles and so many headaches and so many, so much anxiety about conversations about money. And if you could do that, it makes everything else easier. I mean, it really does when you're a parent. You, you, know, you don't have time for just spend half an hour debating when not to upgrade the car. Like you should have that as part of your roadmap or your plan on a financial right. basis. Right. Now, speaking of that, you do have a whole section in your book about wives or about marriages, relationships, things like that, which really intrigued me, obviously being a wife myself. And, um, and as I disclosed to you earlier, before we started recording, um, that my husband grew up without a dad. Um, he hasn't had a dad, um, or even a a healthy father figure in his life, uh, pretty much since he's been about five years old. Now, yes, he has a couple of Uh, let's say guy friends, you know, he's met some people through the church, you know, that have been like kind of youth pastors and things like that, that have led him, you know, as mentors along the years, as you mentioned movies, I know there's been a lot of movies that have really hit home for him, um, that he's, you know, kind of learned what it's like to be a man and a husband and a dad and all those things, but he never really had anyone close to home that, that could lead him in those ways. So in your book, uh, we'll go back to the, the, to the wife stuff, because I am, I am interested in that too, but um, in the book, you talk about um, uh, what it means to really be, quote, the man of the house. Um, can you explain a little bit more about that? Because you said, spoil, spoiler alert, it's not the 1950s. So tell me yeah. more, you know, for for, for a, a man to be, to not have that role model in their life, to show them what it's like to be a husband and a dad and so forth, um, what, what does it look like to be the man of the house? And how are they supposed to learn that? <clears throat> Well, um, the first thing I think to consider is to learn that is the, the, the number one the number one um, the number one issue should be to focus on is you know how can you support your wife if she's stayed home if she she's breastfeeding whatever and that first step is really to what can you contribute and when you walk in the door you know I basically would walk in the door at night and take my son off my my wife's shoulders hands wherever. And take quality time and give her a break. Um, if you're both in the throes of parenting and you gravitate towards doing dishes or cooking, you know, embrace that and make that your own. And then your wife, you, your wife should be 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 there to assist for the laundry or whatever. It could be the cleaning around the house. But splitting the duties can come in any form as long as you're involved in that process. And the 1950s dad is the, you know, the, the ethos of the guy comes in after hard day of work, kicks his shoes off, lights a stogie, and sits on the couch and waits for dinner. Right. And that's just, that's just not how it works anymore. Right. And it should never work that way. And I particularly, you know, I tell guys, if you don't like to cook, and that's one of your areas of deficiencies as a couple, like just get into it. Like there's no better 
thing to, to learn and it's quite it's quite time to yourself and when you start to become a better cook you know you're not only nourishing your family you're, you're t tackling a, a an important role in the in in the, in the household and it's just a fun thing to do it's just it's so easy now too i mean the, the youtube videos right to follow it's i mean like the old books like the old like three inch books it's like intimidating <laughs> for a guy like i can't get into this or right. whatever well videos make it simple and you we can do. get into it yeah and it's so much easier to look at a video and do it, like you said, than looking at a recipe in a book and trying to figure out all the things. I just, I go to Pinterest. That's my go-to is I find something that says like five ingredients or less that <laughs> I can throw in the slow cooker or something. I mean, we all want to make it easy, right? Because it's, yeah. it's too complicated otherwise. So, so if I'm hearing you right, you're telling me that, you know, quote unquote, the man of the house really is is going back to being present and being involved and whether that's as a husband or as a dad or both um, and then it doesn't have to be those traditional roles that you know we probably grew up on with with our parents and their parents um, it's it's about you know taking different roles in the household and figuring out who's going to do what even if it means that you're both doing cleaning of some sort or you're both doing cooking of some sort or raising kids of some sort but you're you you have your own established role but it's not like you said, like a chauvinistic type thing where the man just comes home and expects the wife to do everything else, right? Right. Yeah, it, it's it's much more involved, and, that, and that's due a large part to the women's liberation movement in the '70s, the equality that's being more espoused. I think millennial men, especially, they don't have that mental barrier that boomers did, or even some Gen Xers did. This expectation that it's like the good old days, like Archie Bunker. It's that gets over. Right. And I think it's we're, it's safe to say, but I, I think also your role, if you're doing the laundry and the food and, and food shopping, whatever, you're taking things off your wife's plate to give her either some free time, more bonding time with the kid, with your child, um, or just, again, taking your son for a car, a car drive and giving your wife a couple hours, giving her that break. And it kind of, it, it, roll, it always rolls back into strengthening your marriage with these kinds of practices. And, you know, I would define that the man of the house in this day and age is, is providing an equal amount of opportunity to give yourself free time, your wife free time, and that bond of time you need with your, with your child. And if you can accomplish that, if you had a dad or you didn't have a dad, you know, sometimes not having a dad is not a bad thing. It doesn't get said often, but these, this, this baggage that, um, that a man can bring to a marriage when they're raised by an unstable uh, parent in their house, mom or dad, you know, that reflection that comes through, it gets passed when you become a parent, you kind of become turning to your own parents. And sometimes a fresh, clean slate is not a bad thing. And for any dad out there that's like intimidated, it's like, look, it's a clean slate. A child, there's no cleaner slate in life than the, the birth of a child. And it should be approached that way. Wow. I, I've never heard it approached like that before. And I, that's, that is really refreshing and very true that I feel like isn't talked about very much. We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk a little bit more about that. Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com.
Okay. So you talked about having a clean slate, you know, when you become a dad, you know, when, when a child is birthed into this world, it's, it's a clean slate, you know, you, you can kind of be whatever parent you want to be. And I think, you know, I know, I remember when I was growing up and I still say this as a mom, I say, oh, I'm not going to be like my mother. I'm not going to make decisions like her. You know, I'm not going to act like that or do this. And then, you know, you find yourself in that role because that's what you're used to. And that's kind of just your go-to. Um, but there's also ways to stop those patterns too, right? I mean, there's also ways to be intentional about your parenting. And if you really didn't like something that your own parent did um, or want to do something different, then like you said, you have that that kind of clean slate to, to start parenting the way that you want to parent. But I want to ask you, when it comes to a, a dad who didn't grow up with a father and they're all of a sudden, you know, having this new baby, um, is there anything emotionally or mentally that they have to go through to kind of find some acceptance about their own, let's say, lack of fatherhood of their own life before they can jump into that clean slate and become a dad themselves? Is there anything they have to, uh, yeah, emotionally or mentally go through um, of acceptance of some kind of accepting what their past was like, accepting that they didn't have a dad and now all of a sudden they're going to be in this role now? Or what? what is that pressure like or what does that feel like? Well, I, I'll take a step back. And I, I think to, we were talking about prior, which is looking at the bad habits of your parents or things that you, you promised yourself you would never do that your parents did. And one thing I do in the chapters is looking at your family history. And if you have the opportunity to, to sit down one night and list out all the attributes of your parents, just things that they would do. Um, things like maybe they were just like really fickle about keeping your room clean. Were they really overbearing about doing homework? And making notes, notes of these pros and cons. And then you have the opportunity when you see, see something that which just stood out in your mind as a child is a child that just like hits a nerve. It's a sore spot. It could be like your parents were methodical about your homework. It's like, can you give me a break? And if you can course correct on just a few negative attributes in your own parenting experience, it's going to provide a tremendous benefit to, to the next generation. And if you can go back and even have that conversation with your mom or your dad, and I actually did this with my mom. You know, I would ask her pointed questions like, you know, we did this. Why was that the case? And I, I uncovered a few things where I learned just how financially pinched we were growing up. And I knew we always were. I mean, it was kind of obvious. Right. Well, I had what my friends had when I didn't have. And in other respects, I did have some advantages that, that my other friends didn't have. I won't get into. But like I always wanted to go to soccer camp, like a, like a three-week hardcore soccer camp to get ready for high school soccer and, my, and like, mom, why didn't we ever do this? Mm. She's like, it's money. We didn't have it. And I was like, oh, so now I'm thinking in my head, I'm going to financially plan. So every year I have a few thousand dollars on the side. So kind of becomes passionate about something right now it's wrestling. Right. So we've got them at a wrestling club and it's 180 bucks a month. And I have no problem spending that because it's a passion and that may fall by the wayside at some point. But he's getting the opportunity that I never had. And that's more of the financial picture. Emotionally, if you can go back and find a few attributes, if it was impatience, it was alcohol or tobacco abuse, it was something that you could course correct. One or two key things, you're going to be a tremendously better parent than your own. And, and saying that as a child of divorce, that means something. And that's one of the things you could pass through to say this is something you could look forward to um, in your parenting years. Right. 
Um, I love that. I love, you know, I, I love tangible things like making a list and, you know, yeah. like you said, having a conversation or just, you know, coming up with that and having your spouse do that too, or your partner do that too, about their own, their own background and their own family, you know, dynamics, because they can be very different um, where you think you have a lot in common or, or you maybe don't like it, you don't have enough in common. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, wow, our parents, we were raised a lot more similarly than we thought we were or something yeah. like that. So I think, Going back to the marriage part of it, I think that's, you know, that you can, you can uncover a lot about parenting styles and, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, I guess, talk out there about different parenting styles. And if a, if two parents are not on the same, um, wavelength when it comes to parenting, you know, spanking, all those things, right. You know, yeah. or discipline, like anything, um, you know, even, even just as little as what nutritionally they're going to have, you know, like, like what kind of food they're going to buy for their kids, you know, um, two people that, that are raised very differently and from very different homes can have very different parenting styles. How does that affect fatherhood? And, you know, have, have, is that something you talk about in your book about when you, when you and your partner or you and your spouse have different parenting styles and you're trying to come together to raise your own children? Well, there's a great book on the market, um, that I refer to prior to even getting married and it's called the hard questions. And, um, it talks about you and your potential spouse and you're supposed to go through this book, each chapter, and you're basically asking each other questions about how are we going to raise our kids? How are we going to manage our families, religions, education, all these, these bigger topics that come up down the road and with different parenting styles, you ha I would suggest having that as early as possible in the conversation, ideally when your wife or loved one is, is pregnant and talking about, look, I was raised where I got a line, I got a smack across the face and your spouse might be like, well, we're not going to do that. Okay, well, let's talk about that. How are we going to approach that if we get a significant level of disrespect being thrown at us from our kids? How are we going to manage that? And again, almost writing that playbook in advance and then part of it also is, you know, we don't talk about, we haven't talked about the, the trial and error. Like you're going to make mistakes as a parent. Like I have a number of mistakes I've made over the years that I'm like, okay, I learned from that. You know, it's like, exactly. that wasn't the right decision. Here's what I did wrong. And as you'd like me to know, you know, the, the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing and expecting a different outcome. Right. Right. So you got a course correct. And you also have to be as a man of the house or a woman of the house. If you see something your spouse is doing that you're uncomfortable with, you have to explain why and, and give some reasons in a, in a calm manner and then talk about it. And as that communication keeps flowing, it's going to, again, you'll, you're going to run into roadblocks, but active communication is going to be uh, the key part of the solution. Exactly. And I think, as you alluded to, is, is being preventative, you know, um, you know, kind of talking about things before they become a problem, before they come up, you know, maybe hypothetically just role model of different things that could come up along the, you know, um, the first year of life or, you know, the first year of parenting um, and talking about how you might want to handle that. You know, like I said, even whether it's breastfeeding or formula feeding or, you know, there's so many things that come up to vaccinate, to not vaccinate. There's so many issues that I never thought I would think about until all of a sudden I became a parent. I thought, Oh, I, I never, we never even discussed this. This never was even on our radar. Um, so to, like you said, come up with those things ahead of time, I think is really healthy. Um, now I have a question about this because it's happens in, in my own observations in my own life. And like I said, my husband grew up without a dad pr pretty much his entire life. Mm -hmm. 
um, or really any positive role model, even as his mom wasn't the best role model as a, as a parent either. So he kind of almost grew up with the wolves, if you will. And I, and I don't say that lightly, but he really did raise himself. I mean, for the most part, you know, he had some some people here and there, but um, but he, he learned a lot just on his own. He kind of, like you said, trial and error and things like that. So yeah. when he first became a dad, we had our daughter first. And I mean, he just swooned and, you know, fatherhood seemed so easy for him. Uh, and I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised, right. Because of knowing his background. And then all of a sudden we had our son a few years later and it was like, he was, he was stuck in the mud. Like he couldn't, couldn't just wrap his head around the fact that he was a dad to a son. And I don't know if it was because oh. he was a son of a fatherless dad, you know, um, but it was really hard, especially when it came to Father's Day, like even just celebrating Father's Day and being a dad, the first couple of years were, re- were really hard for him. And he almost didn't want to be celebrated because it was oh, just wow. a sore subject for him, right? Even though he was now a dad and his kids wanted to celebrate him, it was still really hard for him to celebrate fatherhood in general, right? Yeah. Um, but I did notice a difference in in how he approached being a dad to a son versus being a dad to a daughter. And any of your research, any of the people that you um, interviewed for your book, did you notice that at all, that it was a little bit harder to raise a boy versus a girl um, if you were raised without a father yourself? Or can you it's see a question. where you from? <laughs> it's a great question. And I have not come across that. I've come more across um, men being apprehensive about worrying about hurting a child, just either roughhousing or not having the patience or um, their own family baggage comes back to haunt them a little bit. Right. And those are the three areas I think that, that guys can get hung up on. But you know, one thing I do call out of the book is are there certain milestone years or milestone events? And what I do in this book is, is identify the things that you need to celebrate. You know, if you didn't celebrate Father's Day growing up with your dad because your dad wasn't around, um, I can see that being a challenge. Here's another flip side to it. If you have remained married to your spouse and you figure out the year that your parents divorced mm-hmm. as the man of the family, uh, as the husband, and you go back and you look at the year and I figure it out. It's really the ninth. My, my, my parents were married for a total of on 11 years. And when I hit that 11th year anniversary milestone, marriage is in a good place. Child's healthy. We live in a good home, good schools. I have a job. All these things lined up. That's something to celebrate because you're the ability for you to extend your marriage in years that are well past what your parents was able to achieve is progress. And the fact that you have um, children in the home that, that are being raised by two stable, happy, um, happy, happy um, parents, that's a success. And you need to really look at those points of success. Um, I had a conversation with my son, a pointed one, when he turned six. And I said, I want to talk to you about what it was like when my father left on the day he left. And I want you to hear that story. Uh, and that's part of me trying to espouse active communication but that conversation for me was so therapeutic because he understood what it was like he really can't comprehend it but he knows at least more about me about what i went through as a child and after the conversation you know it's now three years later and he's thriving and doing fine and you have to build on the successes and turn your baggage um 
into milestone achievements when you surpass what your parents were able to give to you. And if you if you focus on that, you're going to accomplish more as as a dad. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my husband actually has had conversations like similar to that with, with our kids. Um, like I said, my son is now six and sometimes he'll turn to me and he'll just say, um, can you believe I was our son's aides when my dad left me or, you know, yeah. those, those memories all those moments come back, you know, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, for all of us, all of us have dealt with some sort of trauma in some, some sort of way in, in our lives. I, I really do believe that, you know, we all, um, have dealt with so many things over, over our lifespan um, that contribute to who we are and who we are as a parent and things like that. And I think it is important to share some of those things with our own children so they they also understand a little bit more about us and maybe why we make certain decisions and, and things like that. So um, I, I feel like I could ask you questions all day. Um, I also feel like you should write a sequel to your book for teenagehood, you know, right? For especially since your son's getting older and my kids are around the same age. And I feel like, you know, we need to have a sequel to your book, um, you know, to talk not so much about the early years and the foundational years, but then, you know, what is it like after, you know, 10, 15 years of being married and, you know, all of a sudden you're raising teenagers and what, what is that like? Because I feel like once our kids start having a voice, and more of a personality as they grow, um, yeah. our parenting shifts, right? And sometimes it can get harder because sometimes they can trigger trigger those things, some of those traumas that we've had, and they can trigger it because now they're old enough to kind of really comprehend it, talk back, you know, all those things. So, um, so I don't know if you have another book in the works, but um, in the meantime, you know, dads can can run out and grab these. Um, if there's any moms listening and you feel like there's a dad or a father, you know figure in, in your life, a uh, friend or whoever that could benefit from this book. Um, now, do you have to be a new dad or can you be somewhat of a seasoned dad and still get a lot of uh, advice and benefits from your book? I, I think so because it does cover some ground that isn't often covered in parenting books. Um, the whole section devoted to family finances, the in-laws, um, communities, community organizations and how to approach those, how to manage those. Um, there's all advice, kinds of advice like that in there. I think just the block and tackle advice with your wife. Um, and then the other thing that's in the, at the end of the book is your legacy. And that talks about, you know, what do you want to leave behind uh, as your legacy to your family? And we get, we kind of unpackage that a little bit. And it's, uh, it's one of the most, it was the most rewarding section to write because as a man, you know, legacy is, it's in the back of our heads more often than not. You don't want to admit it like asking for help. We'll never talk about it, but it's all there. Right. It's always there. So right. it's, uh, I think there's more, a lot more to the book than just, you know, how to change a diaper. I, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I'm really excited. Like I said, I'm, I've, 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 I've dug in a little bit to your book so far and I can't wait to dig in more because I really do want to go back to that section on wives <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, cause I think that's such a pivotal part of, of parenthood is being on the same page with your spouse. And if you can, you know, have that foundation with your partner or spouse um, from the get-go, then that will honestly help you become a better parent to your children, right? Because you're sharing that home with them. So, um, and then I, I, I love that you talk about, you know, um, a lot how to manage stress in the book, you know, stress triggers and things like that. And obviously as a therapist, you know, I think that's really good too. So like you said, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, how to, how to do the basic things around the house, you know, to become a dad, there's much more depth to it. So, um, so for this father's day, it's definitely a good gift to give people. Um, and thank you again so much for joining us today and, and sharing all about fatherhood and your own experience, um, and about this wonderful book you wrote. 
Thank you, Dr. Kim. Pleasure talking to you. Love to talk again sometime. Thank you for joining me today. I cannot wait for you to listen to more episodes. If you are a new listener, I recommend starting at my best of year one episode first. Then make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And when you love an episode, please leave a review. And if you want to stay connected between episodes, please visit me on social media at The Parentologist and on my blog at theparentologist.com. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911. Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com.